0: Welcome back to another episode of Recommended Daily Dose, broadcasting from Teaneck, New Jersey, at Holy Name Medical Center. I'm your co-host, Dr. Suraj Sugger. Dr. Clinton Coleman.
1: You're listening to Recommended Daily Dose with Drs. Clinton Coleman and Suraj Sugger, the not-so-average health show with a unique spin on what's making headlines in
0: healthcare. And we're very pleased today to be joined. Very pleased. Very pleased by board-certified neurologist, medical director of the MS Center since 1993, Dr. Marianne Picone. So welcome. Thank, Thank you for coming. Thank It's a
2: pleasure to be here with you, too.
0: We, uh, we always say that you know, this is something that is um, one of those diseases that you know, even a lot of doctors don't know about. So I think we're very lucky to have you here and have a dedicated center you know, at our hospital.
1: I think besides uh, neurologists, I think you know, nephrologists are one of the smartest doctors. So Dr. Pagon well, was
2: going to say infectious
1: disease. Uh,
0: uh,
2: well, I have to say that in medical school, that was nephrology was always an area learning how the kidney works, and all those acid base balance right. problems were always challenging. It's
0: very easy. It's like everything you need to know is on a three by five card. But unlike neurology and
1: unlike MS, it's not about us. Okay, it's not about us today. I didn't. I wasn't aware of how um, you know popular the MS center at in, um here at Holy Name is it's one of the few um, one specialty of the few centers MS the area. centers,
2: and um, we've been here. Uh, the center first started back in 1985, and really services patients from throughout the metropolitan area. I think we have about 2,000 patients uh, that we currently see now, but and some patients even if they mo- even after they move out of the area still come back to to see us because. Um, MS is such a, um, a specialized field now, and there's been so many changes throughout the years advances in treatment that it really can be overwhelming for a general neurologist to kind of keep up and, um, and, and manage the patient with all the monitoring that's required.
1: and you have a new book which is geared to not just neurologists but regular you know physicians such as ourselves. Um, you know I think you know part of the, the struggle is like you mentioned is keeping up with the the, the new information and new treatments. Um, when I do see MS patients, they're telling me what the new treatments are. And the medications, I have yeah, no idea. Right? right?
0: It's it's really amazing. So your That's, book, you have yeah, multiple
1: sclerosis for the non neurologist So did you ever think of calling it like MS for dummies or anything <laughs> no, like that? No,
2: no. But actually, goals. what you what you just mentioned that 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 was really the reason why I, I thought of doing the book was because so many patients would come in and say. Um, when I saw my internist or your, or possibly a, a eye doctor or a, whoever the other specialty was, they were telling the patient about their MS and about their medications and trying to get them to understand what symptoms they were having and that it was part of their MS disease activity. So I felt that there really was more of a need to try to educate other specialties about the disease and to try to help improve care for our patients.
1: You think that's the nature of the disease or such a, you know, or the training that most physicians undertake?
2: Well, I think we, we get not so much training uh, or exposure to neurology in medical school in general, and MS even less. Right. So I think that makes it even more difficult once someone graduates, if you're not in going into neurology, um, recognizing the disease sometimes and uh, certainly keeping up with all the treatments because now we have 16 new um, FDA approved MS therapies so you can imagine it's kind it's hard for me to keep up right. let alone yeah. everyone else.
0: So if you're saying it's hard for physicians to really know much about it since our audience is you know general public so if you could just take a step back um, you know pretend Dr. Coleman has a fourth grade education how would you how would you uh, explain, school, by the way. it was yeah. yeah, how would you explain the disease in general terms? Okay, we're not.
2: So many people think that MS is kind of disease where you're immunosuppressed, but that's right. actually not the case. It's more of a mistaken immune system where the body starts to recognize part of itself, namely the myelin, the fatty coating surrounding the nerves and fibers in the brain and the spinal cord as a foreign object and kind of attacks it, produces antibodies against it and we don't know exactly why this occurs it seems to be a combination of both genetic susceptibility and exposure to some type of trigger either viral or um, experimental that um, kind of triggers the autoimmune response
0: right so and it, i always remember from med school um there were certain, we say genetic factors, but there were certain ethnicities, certain even latitudes, right, where it may have usually, is it usually, what, is it more northern latitudes? Is it more Caucasian uh, that yes. are more susceptible? Yeah,
2: sure. So, and actually, so we're in an area where it is a high, higher, it it is a, a higher uh, prevalence right. of MS. Right. Um, because of northern latitudes of the world, you know, right. northern latitudes of the U.S., um, more Caucasians, more females compared to males, right. but African-American pa- uh, uh, males and females do get the disease. Uh, many Hispanic patients uh, mm. develop the disease, so we see it in, in you know other ethnicities too, but primarily Caucasian, northern latitudes of the world. And that has um, to do with
0: su- the amount of sunlight? Is might it might have
2: to do with sunlight exposure and vitamin D levels. Ah. Like we see that there's some connection between low vitamin D levels and increased risk of of developing the disease. Yeah, I feel like
0: vitamin D, you know, just even for the general public out there has been implicated in so many things right now, cardiovascular disease and risk factors, but um, that's interesting that it's implicated with perhaps with MS as well. And, you know, Like I said, in medical school, we always seem to remember way back when that it was this idea of northern latitudes and less sun. Yeah,
2: so it may have to do with less uh, mm-hmm. northern, um, less sun exposure, lower right. vitamin D levels. But now, when you think about it, even in the areas that are closer to the equator, we wear sunscreen, which is appropriate because sure. you don't want to get skin cancer, but that decreases your absorption of vitamin D and, and definitely want people to use sunscreen. But um, so we're we're starting to see more MS in, in other are in, in areas in of the world. You are in tropical countries or yes. more equatorial yeah. countries. Yeah, mm. we we have patients that come from um, who who originated in uh, Puerto Rico, some of the other Caribbean islands, who have MS.
3: Hmm.
1: What about diagnosis? It's such a difficult thing to diagnose. Um, are there any new things in in that regard? Because that was you know, when you're seeing patients, there's so many different presenting signs or different symptoms. manifestations. Yeah, or, you're so. right. that's
2: what makes it challenging right. sometimes because uh, patients can present with blurred vision, walking difficulties, sensor. Um, uh, uh, numbness or decreased sensation in parts of the body, fatigue is right. a big symptom that many patients have. So you can imagine you go to the doctor and you're saying, and, and someone saying, "I just feel so exhausted. I have right. no energy. Can't do anything." And you know, a lot of times you think, "Well, you know, maybe you're stressed or um, you have you're overworked, etc." And enough, that whatever, could be right. not sleeping enough, and that could be one of the early symptoms of MS. Um, so very we so, call it
0: vague. Or Symptom Some yeah. symptoms
2: can be vague, mm. and they can be uh, misinterpreted as other problems. You know, someone who might have, say, uh, sometimes people, someone comes in who's got numbness down their arm, so they're thought to have a pinched nerve, mm. and but later on... Um, are found that that it wasn't due to kind of quote unquote a pinched nerve but could also be a symptom of MS. So you just have to I think it's it's just important to keep an open mind keep it and in if the differential, you have so uh, keep yeah. it in the differential and right. if symptoms aren't getting better to don't give up, you know, to keep trying to get help.
1: And I think that the challenge for most of the primary care doctors is so nonspecific specific that and it's unlikely to have MS as opposed to having sleep depri- 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 deprivation as the cause for your, your right. symptoms. You don't necessarily want to go down the rabbit hole of imaging studies and right. all those things. Um, on the flip side you have patients who have access to the internet and Google and they type in their fatigue or blurry vision and, and, and that comes and MS up and comes then they to the come to the doctor. Or Lyme by the way. Or Lyme. Right. So right. Um, I think that's a big challenge to which I'm sure your book addresses.
2: It is and like Lyme disease definitely is in the differential also right. because we always have to rule that out when someone's coming in for evaluation. And we've had patients who've been diagnosed as having MS. Who turn out that they don't have the disease, so that happens also. Um, but it, I think the important thing is just keeping an open mind about it and um, and and making sure that it's it's looked after. So properly. when you say they
0: were diagnosed, if you could walk it walk us down, like just in generalities, like what, how you know, how, how would primary care physicians, how would other people, what do they go about in terms of getting diagnosed? I mean, it's not straight. Is it straight to imaging? Is it biopsy, no? Is it, is I it a think. Lumbar
3: puncture? Um, uh,
2: sometimes a lumbar puncture can be helpful. Often, yeah. it's it's really blood work testing initially, with uh, doing some of the tests, like to uh, to make sure Antibodies. someone doesn't have Lyme disease sure. or you know ruling out um, uh, other infectious processes, trauma, um, um, tumor. But many times, uh, sometimes an MRI does need you know is done. So, right. some, for example, if someone comes in with uh, see somebody for severe headaches. And they're getting evaluated as part of their headaches and then might have an MRI done and some suspicious you know, they see some findings that seem suspicious for MS. So then they're referred to a neurologist. Right. I think that's one of the biggest things that if there is a question, it's best to refer to sure. to a neurologist for further evaluation. I suspect that's
0: probably how a lot of patients may come to you or to a neurologist to begin with, right? Headache, MRI, make sure there's nothing scary there, and then someone says there's some suspicion for demyelination right, or right. loss that, of that of that myelin that comes
2: there. up quite a bit
0: right right yeah but some of these other symptomatologies. I get a lot of Lyme I'm you know and there's a lot of these diseases you know rheumatologists probably get lupus or these other things that are just so vague and non-specific,
2: and a lot of times they can coexist too. Sure, that you can have both rheumatoid arthritis and MS, so two different or autoimmune lupus disorders. and MS, like mm-hmm. two different autoimmune diseases. And many times in the patient's history, right. it's not uncommon that they not only that they may they when you ask anybody else in the family have any neurologic problems, they, there might not be a history of MS, but there might be a history of rheumatoid arthritis, or Crohn's disease, or thyroid disease, which are other autoimmune other immune, problems right, right. that you know can possibly share some of the same um, uh, pathophysiology.
0: So this is, does this run in families? So is this a familial disease? There
2: is a slight increase in families. Hmm. There's no genetic test that we have to check for it, right. but there's about, and it's a small percentage, about three, three to 4% higher than the general population. But there, there is a slight increased risk if a family member has it.
0: It sounds like it might be what they call multifactorial. So it might have a certain yes. risk, but depending on where they live, yes. how their diet is, right? This, exactly. Assuming, yeah. That
2: makes and that makes a huge difference. Mm. Um, um, uh, nutrition, smoking. Um, uh, smoking is a risk factor for MS. So, mm, I didn't know so that. Yeah. Um, uh, obesity. You know, there's lots of studies now showing that. Um, if you're uh, overweight as a child, that also could potentially increase risk if you're genetically susceptible because it's a, it creates a pro-inflammatory state right. in the body. So very important uh, to, for family members, for if a parent has MS, right. we really try to stress to them uh, you know, proper nutrition and exercise and for the children to help in decreasing risk.
0: Does it help prevent symptoms, too? Like, let's say someone already has MS.
2: It de- definitely makes a difference. You know, mm. years ago, people were, were were taught that if they had MS, you should just rest. You mm. shouldn't exercise. Right. But now we know that that's the worst thing you can do. So if you have MS, uh, exercise, you know, n- proper nutrition, there's lots of research done on, like, the Mediterranean diet. Sure. You know, lots of fruits and vegetables, uh, whole grains, water. Um, to help in decreasing inflammation if you have the disease. So, so if you have the disease, the exercise and nutrition goes a long way too, to helping improve symptoms and helping decrease inflammation overall.
1: It seems like North America is such a setup for you know, MS as far as- Well, the, the diet, the, 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 the Western lifestyle. The Western lifestyle, yeah. the lack yeah. of vitamin D, the obesity, you know, just a genetic predisposition. Um, as far as treatments, are there new innovations in in regards to treatments or how would you approach it if someone came? I'm sure they see you after diagnosis, right? Yeah,
2: so so really that's been one of the most rewarding aspects of uh, working uh, in the MS field is seeing the advances throughout the years. So it's
1: not like it used to be.
2: Definitely yeah. not like it used to be. And much more positive outlook for mm. patients who develop the disease. You know, mo- majority of patients who have the disease now are working, have families, you know, and, and often you wouldn't know that there's any difficulty. But because the, the treatments have been more effective. So we have injectable medications now, oral therapies, intravenous meds, and and we've been involved in a lot of these clinical studies here at the MS Center. But um, for example, one of the most recent treatments is a drug called Ocrevus, which is given intravenously twice a year. So Mm. it's made a huge difference for patients in terms of helping to improve their quality of life because they don't have to take a medication every day. So it kind of frees them up, and it's been much more effective, and we can use it earlier. And what we're seeing is that that's why it's so important to recognize the disease early, because if we treat it early, the earlier we treat, the better patients do long-term.
1: And I think that's a big struggle for at least, you know, primary care physicians like myself is diagnosing it early or being aggressive in your diagnosis because, um, you know, we treat other diseases. You know, we want to rule out you know, cancer at all costs, but we don't, you know, we're not as aggressive. Yeah, but I think like you say like it's probably MS. not
0: always in our differential or back from mind. It probably should be. But, it's- but the right. downside
1: to, you know, not treating sleep deprivation is way different than not treating MS, right?
3: True,
2: but like, as you said, you know, you guys are so busy trying to take care of, you know, so many type of disorders right. that it can be um, not so easy to kind of keep MS in mind.
1: So I think, you know, your book is really helpful to educate the, the general population of physicians about how to, you know, what's new in the field of uh, multiple sclerosis and how to address it.
2: And we know what's funny is that there's there's one chapter in the book that you would not have expected that has to do with denti- uh, dental issues because, mm. believe it or not, I get a lot of phone calls from dentists, um, about patients who come into the office and say that they have to have uh, is it okay for them to to have uh, this uh, cavity removed or right. have this procedure done do they need antibiotics beforehand do they need to stop their disease modifying therapy right. so it's it's really interesting that um, um, an area that you wouldn't necessarily expect to you know have much involvement when you think about it patients with MS have to see the dentist and have to take care of their teeth right. and so, um, it, it, you know, just in kind of increasing that awareness. And for many, pe- for many patients, too, one of the big problems is just transportation issues. Right. So some patients who have more disability, just getting to the doctor. I mean, whether it be an internist or a dentist or eye doctor, if they don't have accessibility, it's difficult for them. So
0: that, that's kind of the idea. You know, why don't you walk us through what when you say MS center? Like, what does that mean? I mean, it's comprehensive care. I'm assuming. I'm assuming, like you mentioned, with transportation, you provide transportation. There's probably outreach, education. But what does it mean to be an MS? So,
2: center? what we really try to do our best to provide is the uh, comprehensive care. Right. So, um, being aware of all the difficulties that an MS patient's face, from psychosocial, uh, physical, emotional, rehabilitative-wise. Mm. So here. Uh, the, it's convenient for the patients to get into the center and there we were able to get a donor who provided funding for us to have a transportation van so oh, patients who do have problems with uh, getting here they it will it helps to get them access to the hospital and to the MS center or to services they need here um, and so we have nurses who are trained in, in um, MS care um, you know physicians who who've done fellowships in it and, so it's um, actually
0: a fellowship within, within neurology? It is,
2: actually. Yeah, there's a fellowship within neurology. Mm. Um, we have a social worker, a neuropsychologist who works with us because one of the other areas that's affected mm. many times within MS is memory.
3: Oh. Okay.
2: And that's often not recognized, too, that you can have uh, memory problems with MS, short-term memory, word-finding difficulties, uh, visual-spatial problems. And so the neuropsychologist helps to evaluate that and then work on ways to help um, sort of retrain the mind right. if they're having memory problems. I think
0: a lot of people, especially physicians included, uh, wouldn't necessarily remember or realize it's not just uh, you know, um, muscular, but it's, it's cognitive, you're saying. Effect. Yes.
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, cognitive mm. deficits can definitely uh, are definitely part of the part disease. Of the disease yeah. yeah, which you know is often underrecognized, right? And can be one of the biggest reasons why people have difficulty working. You know, so you can imagine, like in the workplace nowadays, where you know you computers and multitasking. So if you have problems with. Uh, kind of information processing where you, you, it's not that you can't learn, but it takes a little bit longer mm. to kind of understand what's going on. And especially if there's a lot of things being thrown at you, it can be difficult to sort it all out. That can often be challenging to stay in the workplace. So, you know, we're trying to, to work on ways to uh, help retrain patients right. so that they can better manage in the workplace to keep people working longer. And, uh, so this but, is
0: really the advantage is a comprehensive Yeah, and the MRI
2: is right down the hall. Right, right. Um, PT, speech therapy, occupational therapy is right down the hall. So it's uh, And everyone's aware of the problems that MS patients face so they can better address it.
0: Have they ever looked at, like, complementary? Uh, this kind of came to my mind, like acupuncture or things like that? Have they ever looked at, you know— Alternative and, I think the right PC word is alternative and complementary medical techniques. Yeah,
2: actually. Uh, very much so Uh, many patients actually do a lot of complementary therapies too Mm. in addition to their uh ms disease modifying therapies yoga is a big one uh sometimes acupuncture for pain sometimes um like with um uh, cannabis you know some patients use the medical marijuana to try to help with pain or spasms also
0: oh that controls spasms it can be helpful
2: um And uh, uh, meditation, you know, we really try to encourage that so that patients don't have to rely on medications as much, but try to use some of these other, um, um, you know, more complementary therapies.
0: You mentioned exercise. I don't know if you know Dr. Coleman's a big jazzercise, you know, and dancing uh, and water exercise. want to see my jazzercise? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And
2: aqua therapy is a a great Uh, exercise. See? See? Exercise in the
0: pool. There you go. (laughs) I, I knew it. I knew it. So it is... Go ahead. Please continue with
2: aqua exercise. No, uh, aqua therapy is a great exercise because you're in the water. First of all, it's cool because many patients have difficulty with tolerating right. heat. Mm. So if you're in the water, it's cool. You have the buoyancy of the water to help you. So right. if you have some weakness, it's a little bit easier moving right. around. And it, it really makes such a big difference in helping with pain, with stiffness.
1: Where can uh, patients get like information? Is, is there a you know, National Society, or I'm sure they can go to the website. Yeah, they can
2: go to the Holy Names uh, MS Center website, the National MS Society website, Multiple Sclerosis uh, Association of America has a good website also to provide just general information because they do have to be careful that there is a lot of information out there on the Internet, but some of it is reliable, uh, some some of it isn't, so you really have to be careful. That's why I think it's
1: important, you know, your book is educating uh, you know, the gatekeepers, right? So yeah, um, you know we can't really rely on Dr. Google to right. Yeah, Dr. Our Google can
2: be you know, problematic. You know you have to be can yeah. be problematic. And even now, like this time of the year with vaccinations
3: right. that's a that's a that's big, big, deal. big yeah.
2: deal. And there was often the misconception that if you had MS you shouldn't get vaccinated. Mm. Right. and which is not true and um and as an ID and, doc can you say it again yeah exactly <laughs> say yeah, it one especially more time. so yeah. uh, not true yeah. and there's been just a big recent study and guidelines that vaccinations don't do not cause ms and that um, it's okay and you should get the flu shot and sure. you know other vaccinations as needed
1: it's the information
0: age right no that's, that's that's so important that that's that's so great to know you know one of the questions i had was you talk about disease-modifying agents, but I, I, what I remember is that you're basically trying to slow down the progression. But can you actually reverse the damage?
2: Unfortunately, that's that's really still the unmet need unmet in need, reversing right. problems mm-hmm. that are in you know, deficits that are present. That's why we really try to do so much in terms of prevention
3: and early and diagnosis.
2: early right. early diagnosis, early treatment. It's never too late to go on therapy, but. The later it, you start, you can't reverse problems that have occurred, I see, right, and, right. but there is a lot of research going on sure. now looking at ways to try to help stimulate new myelin growth and, mm. and help in repair, but we're not quite there yet.
1: I think it's such an amazing and myst- yet mysterious disease. So. Yeah,
2: there's still a lot of unknown, right. unknowns about it.
1: Where can we get your book and find out more about you?
2: Well, the book is available on Amazon, uh, okay, and or the Walter's Kluwer website. That's the publisher. That's the
1: publisher, okay. Right.
2: Um, and about me on the Holy Name uh, MS Center web website. All right.
1: And before we wrap it up, we just want to have some uh, some, some <laughs> questions, some rapid. fire We like to do questions. the rapid fire questions towards the end, so I hope you're ready.
2: Okay, I'll try my best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, besides nephrology, what other specialty or other profession would you have? done you had to do it over
2: again um let's see I think ophthalmology really yeah I always liked the eye and I think it's a really cool feeling. I think the eye is
1: gross <laughs> you think the eye is gross I've seen like the cataract replacements and it's just
0: like how about the enucleation that's when you take the eyeball out for those viewers out there that's that's something it's not for everyone that's for sure a very cool. a needle I, in the eye and watch. Again, another you, one of those things bad. where you know we look besides the anatomy. It's just um, all the disease process that can happen in the eye almost comes. It's an amazing like, organ. Incredible. It's, it's gross, incredible. but it's amazing. <laughs> I'm glad I have them. How about your favorite <laughs> medical drama? You watch shows. Um. Hmm.
2: That's a tough anyway, one. Yeah. I probably would go with Grey's Anatomy. Okay. All right.
1: There it's you
3: safe.
2: Go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although I haven't watched it in the last few years, but the first few years were, were cool.
1: I find those shows like the. No, whatever the, the appeal doesn't last that well, long. Well, right?
2: and also for, for it, us, right? They're so unbelievable. Right. When you see the neurosurgeon, right. although he's very handsome, but he does everything. Right. He works in the ER. He works on the floor. He's, he's doing, doing the it MRI. All. Right. <laughs> he's, he's wheeling really, the patient right, around. Right. You know. Uh,
0: exactly. I, I watched ER. do you ever watch ER? When you, yes, ER in the was a I was in med school too. back then. That was yeah. that was a good one. But again, you had George Clooney doing a little bit right, of everything. Right. So. Right.
1: Right. Is um, there something that you do for fun outside of?
0: Um,
2: I like traveling okay, and some bicycle riding and uh, just what? kind of
1: what's your most
0: recent trip?
2: To eat um, to uh, Thailand.
1: Oh, that's oh, on so my you are, radar. You are yeah. traveling.
0: Yeah, I was that was a of, big like, trip.
1: I went to Atlantic City a few
2: weeks
0: <laughs> ago. I went to Newark for a conference. Um, <laughs> I heard the street food's amazing. Actually, in Bangkok.
2: I, didn't, I was a little afraid of trying the oh, street I, food. Oh, I, I got some cipro from this guy. Especially having an got, infectious disease But you person. know what? I,
0: I don't always take follow my own advice. But I wash my hands, but I and I travel with you know uh, sanitary hand wash. But I love eating street food. A, it's cheap. And, but the, Are you the, the guy that has a hand sanitizer <laughs>
1: attached to your like belt clip? To my hip pack, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I travel.
0: But I've heard that there's actually and there they have like almost like um, like boats lined up, and you can just go and get the food
3: and, and the yeah, water. Yeah, it's and the markets. it's
2: it's really amazing. They have these floating markets. Floating markets, right? That right, right. sell anything you could possibly want to buy. Right. All kinds of like trinkets and clothing and food. It's it's really pretty cool. It's
1: next to the floating toilets. <laughs> <laughs> I love spicy food. I mean,
0: my, Thai food's my big, uh, more, big My player.
2: favorite uh, was the floating the lanterns that um, get lit. Yeah, and, and they, get and let they up, rele- released and I, into the sky. Oh, mostly Those beautiful. Were in the evening, Those are yeah. really pretty. What what was your f- next trip? Not quite sure yet. Okay.
0: <laughs> I bet it'll be international somewhere. <laughs> it won't be uh, in New Jersey, sunny New Jersey. You think? No, I'm
2: no, actually I think going
0: I to Disney tomorrow. Very excited, but uh, Thailand will have to wait. I think until kids older. But Dr. Procolon, thank you so much for oh, coming. my pleasure. On today. this You're has welcome. been very educational, and that's yes. for the listeners. But to be quite honest, to us, you know, this is like I said, Dr. Coleman mentioned, this is one of those black spot diseases that we, um, you know, don't have always the best understanding, whether it's the patient or even other physicians. So I think uh, you coming on, talking to us, your
1: book is going to be very, very helpful. So we appreciate it very much. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. You can rate and subscribe at holyname.org slash dose. We will see you next time. I am Dr. Clinton Coleman. I'm Dr. Surt Sugga. Until next time, be well. Check out recent episodes and learn more about these two modern medicine men and their podcast at holyname.org slash dose.